Welcome to HubSpot's Unconventional Business Podcast. I'm your host, James Gilbert. The best companies are the ones that make it incredibly easy and delightful to do business with. It's seamless, frictionless, intuitive. It's not just a better experience, they're actually disrupting our very notion of what consumers should be able to expect from companies. You see, Aussies and Kiwis are a hard bunch to please. We have some of the highest expectations in the world, and luckily for us, our homegrown businesses know this. This season, on HubSpot's Unconventional Business, you'll be meeting some of our best homegrown brands as they share how they're growing and winning by disrupting the customer experience. Let's meet today's guest. When Zero launched back in 2006, they changed the name of the game for small business. Starting in New Zealand, they introduced the concept of cloud accounting and are now grown to be the dominant cloud accounting company in Australia, New Zealand, and the UK. What you might not know about is the level of their advocacy for small business. In 2020, they've taken this to a new level, supporting people not just through software, but through initiatives surrounding mental health, and community support. Today, we've got the Chief Customer Officer of Zero, Rachel Powell, to talk about Zero's growth and her own growth within Zero and the different unconventional roles she's taken to tackle what are now conventional problems. Thanks so much for joining us today, Rachel. Thanks for having me, James. So I'm pretty sure most people in Australia and New Zealand uh, know about Zero, and probably a lot of them are customers about Zero, but can you give a little bit of background for people about how Zero came to be as a company? I've heard Rod speak about it before as it was something he knew had to exist and he was just waiting for the timing to be right. But I think, you know, someone like yourself that's been at the company for so long, you probably know a richer history than than the rest of us. Yes, it is a fascinating story and, and Rod definitely had a vision that was beyond um, what customers even knew they needed at that point. So Zero is an open small business platform that was founded in New Zealand in 2006. Um, and it became a listed company fairly early in the journey, which is unusual for startup mm. tech companies. Um, and Zero ultimately connects small businesses and to their accountants and bookkeepers so that they can manage the compliance and the financial workflows of their small businesses. So it's a fi financial accounting um, application for small businesses. That's how, how it started in 2006. But it's really grown beyond that, James, to be small business platform. So it connects um, millions of small businesses to their advisors, to the fa their financial institutions and to each other. So it's really yep. helping to create that platform with the right data and insights that help small businesses uh, run their business um, on the cloud. I've seen, been in marketing, seen some of the reports you're able to generate around like the state of small business and uh, even the ability it gives you to advocate on behalf of small business. It's a, it's a really unique position that Zero's in as a company. Yeah. Um, in fact, the, um, you're talking about the Zero Small Business Insights Program. Correct. That, yeah. um, that we've picked up and we've run with first in Australia. So that was spearheaded out of the Australian business a couple of years ago. Um, when we realised that there, there was, um, you know, a significant amount of uh, Australian uh, small business employees being play, paid through the Zero platform and a significant amount of small businesses in Australia and New Zealand running their business on 
on zero. So it just meant that the data that we had um, running through our platform, trillions and trillions of dollars of transactions, was um, able to be aggregated and anonymized. And then we could start mm. to slice and dice that data and provide it to um, the likes of government and, and regulatory um regulatory and policy makers so that they could really understand what was happening in the in the small business economy and it would help them form the right decisions in terms of what they needed to do to support um, particular industry verticals or uh, particular parts of 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 the um, the nation with respect to supporting mm-hmm. that that economy and and never so more has that become really important as we've seen in the last 12 months with covid so yeah. we have uh yeah we've evolved that small business insights program through to the UK and we're and we're starting to actually um pursue that journey as well in the US interesting yeah i was as you were talking i was like wow that would be interesting in normal times but in covid it must have been a combination of like extremely fascinating, but also kind of vital for even governments to be getting a grasp of, well, we don't know, you know, to what degree different businesses are being impacted. And I think uh, being in Australia, it's it's been interesting watching the policies come out and, you know, you always hear criticisms about policies regardless, but I think they've actually saved a lot of business but a lot of them were reliant on financial data to be accessing stimulus, which platforms like Zero, I'm sure, uh, it was probably vital to validate that financial data. Can you talk about that and how you've worked probably with governments and and with the advisor community? I imagine in probably very in depth ways to really help businesses access uh, rescue packages and things like that. Well, as you can imagine, when COVID hit. Um you know, a lot of a lot of organisations went into crisis management. So they went into mm-hmm. first of all making sure that their own employees were safe, um, and were set up to work productively at, in an at-home environment. So that was the very first focus for us. Was we have three thousand employees across five continents. So it was really about making sure that we, you know, put the right. Um, the right um, practices in place so that we could get everybody set up and working home effectively. Then very quickly, we moved to supporting our customers. So, um, you know, within a very short period of time, a matter of a, a matter of days, hours and days, we put together a business continuity hub. So that was, um, that was a site that gave access to all of our customers and, and others actually that they could have a look at and they could see um, all of the the various government stimulus packages that were on offer for them, it, um, no matter which nation they were in. And then we worked quickly to ensure that our product teams were working on the products that were going to be the most valuable for those customers. So things like cash flow reporting, things like making sure that they could get access to their financial information so that they could apply for government stimulus as quickly mm-hmm. as possible. We also made sure that our um, our customer experience um, staff, so we have over 400 customer experience advisors that are in the main qualified accountants and bookkeepers that um, fo- do a follow the sun model, working 24 by 7, supporting our accountants, our bookkeepers and our small businesses to ensure that they have access to what they need so that we could help them um, keep their heads above water and also importantly forecast 
um, their cash flow as they were working through, you know, the upcoming weeks and months. Um, the other thing that we did, and I think this is really important, I talk about this a lot actually, particularly working with small businesses who often don't have the luxury of having access to the to the tools that big enterprises do with respect to some of the softer skills like um, you know, enabling resilience in a workforce, setting up remote working, um, managing security, um, ensuring that you're uh, looking after your own well-being. So we put together a whole lot of education that on the Business Continuity Hub that wasn't just around our product and around technology, but was also around some of the things that we knew that our customers would be seeking support on and wouldn't ordinarily be able to get access to that type of, of support and that type of education. So, of course, once all that's in, in, in place, then we can start to extract the information that we see coming out of our platform. So we can mm -hmm. track, you know, the the amounts of invoices that are being sent through the platform. We can track the amount of people that are being paid, which of course, you know, we saw in many nations that didn't decline because of stimulus packages that were keeping people on either furloughed or in a job keeper type scenario. But what we could also see was what was happening on the revenue side. So we could mm -hmm. um, we could advise governments about what we were seeing in, in particular verticals and we could advise governments in terms of um, the, um, the impact of the stimulus packages and some of the policies that they were putting in place so that they could tweak those and ensure that they were, um, they were making the right decisions at the right time. Um, and we've seen that, you know, even as, as um, I think I saw a couple of hours ago, you know, the JobKeeper payments being extended, albeit at a lower rate until March next year. So all of this information, um, you know, the governments in, in many of those nations did look to us for what was the latest um, information that we had at our disposal, because believe it or not, you know, a lot of... Um, a lot of, uh, you know, the ABS statistics and the other research departments that uh, more government run, that you know, the, they have a lag effect and really yeah. what govern governments need in a, in a crisis, in, a, in like a pandemic, is, is real-time data and insights. Yeah, I think invoice generation is probably the best leading indicator there is of business performance. I feel like even ahead of the banks seeing what money's coming in, like, the invoice needs to be issued before the money even gets transferred. So I think you definitely are in a unique position where you probably have the most leading insights. And then something that I read about Zero, which is fascinating, is just the um, the level of saturation. I think we've learned this year definitely with technology that it's probably still early in the digitization of a lot of businesses, but. I read that there is uh, one subscrip zero subscription for every 12 people in New Zealand. And I, think, I guess New Zealand being the first market uh, that zero started, it's the most penetrated. But just that level of penetration in a population, it blew my mind. And I think I read it in an analyst talking about the opportunity for zero and just saying, like, actually, far more people pretty much every business needs this and you know you think that a company has penetration but that it's it's one in 12 people and it's still growing all right mm. can you talk a little bit about that and how and how that's looked i know with accounting it's a bit different to other products where because of like the importance of tax codes and things like that 
the product can't just be copied and pasted straight away from one geography right. to another. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. what does that expansion look like and, and how do you think about that level of saturation that you could get to? That's an excellent question. And I think that that is the thing that we are constantly working on because the opportunity in front of us is enormous. And with that opportunity comes particularly now a huge level of responsibility. So I I see it as a responsibility to help those businesses that have not yet moved to a digital environment to do so in a way Mm -hmm. that is beautiful one of our values is beautiful, as you probably know, mm-hmm. and in a way that leverages the the technology, so the machine learning and the AI and the insights that we can get to help our customers um, navigate the plethora of um, of choice that they have, not just with the accounting platform, but with the you know we have eight hundred add ons. Um, that our small businesses can choose to connect into Zero to run their business. So these bespoke niche apps, you know, HubSpot's one of them. Mm-hmm. So what are the th- what are the things that are really relevant to hospitality might be very different to a services firm, which might be very different to, um, uh, you know, a, a um, an inventory firm that's doing that's moved to an online um, an online product. Um, an online product service for for the customer. So I think the um you know the exciting thing is that I feel like in 2020 we've almost accelerated decade worth of um digital adoption and mm-hmm. a, a shift in mindset from you know from those small businesses that were you know, many of them potentially thinking that they were going to continue to operate as as business as usual in much more of that analog environment to one where, you know, they've been forced into a digital environment. And I mean that from a front office and a back office perspective. So Mm -hmm. it's not just about how they run their business um, digitally, connecting in with their advisor and their accountant you know, so that they're all looking at the right information live so that it's, you know, it's not waiting for, you know, spreadsheets to be passed or desktop software to be uploaded. It's it's like, you know, it's in the cloud. So both the advisor and the small business owner are looking at the same information at the same time. So I think that, um, you know, what, what we've seen has been really interesting because funnily enough, like the, the Southern Hemisphere has actually had a greater um, a greater digital adoption or cloud adoption than we've seen in some of in in the northern hemisphere, and the southern hemisphere, being Australia and New Zealand, has got as you know a far smaller population. So where we've got significant share in these markets down here, um, and and you know we've we've started to penetrate some significant share in the UK too. We then have this market called the US and the US market is enormous and the cloud adoption there, if you think about, you know, that that as a nation being um, a laggard, if you like, in terms of cloud adoption mm-hmm. and then COVID coming along and accelerating that, that just means that the, um, you know, the, the proliferation of small businesses moving to that digital environment is just going to be massive. And yeah. I think that this is where we as technology vendors need to come together and say, you know, there's, there, there is plenty for everyone to go around here. So how do we work together to make sure that we are collectively doing the best job that we can to support these small businesses to evolve and move into, you know, perhaps what's quite a daunting, you know, phase for them. But once they're there, they realise, you know, how they should have done it 
years ago, like how mm. simple and seamless that is. And because of the data that they then are able to manage, how it then makes it's smarter for them too. So we we use the word simple, seamless, smarter. So this is, you know, this is a huge opportunity, but like I say, also, James, a really, really big responsibility for the likes of the HubSpots and the Zeros. Yeah, it's interesting. Our, our guest we had last week talked about the their business, which was in property management and around how the technology layer they're introducing is really designed to liberate the property manager to work on interesting human problems, she said, and the data and the technology element is really to take away those mundane, repetitive, mm-hmm. very programmable tasks. And when I think about platforms like Zero, I'm actually a Zero customer. Uh, it it does exactly that. If my mortgage broker is asking for financials for the bank, I don't have to go through books of like different ledgers or anything like that. I can simply go to Zero. Click download PNL and send it to them. I'm sure there's probably even a, a future where I don't even need to do that. They just get access to some kind of zero uh, feed directly, Absolutely. and yep. and it liberates me from something that I don't have much interest in. And I think most business owners, particularly small, medium-sized business owners, they're not getting into the business to do accounting work. They're getting into it to follow whatever it is that their passion is that they wanted to start the business around. And the more our platforms can liberate them to focus exclusively on that, I think they'll enjoy life better and like they'll be able to actually focus on what it is they're great at, which, which I think is a really powerful thing. You have just articulated our purpose. So thank you. So <laughs> yeah, to improve lives of people yeah. in small business, their advisors and communities around the globe. Now, our original purpose was to actually um, help small businesses be, you know, grow and be more successful. And we deliberately changed that to, to the term improve the lives because a lot of small mm-hmm. businesses, you know, as you alluded to, they don't necessarily want to grow. They don't necessarily, you know, want to. Not all of them want to be be bigger. Mm. They that they're about doing what they do best, and you know, they're about serving their customers. And what we're about is making sure that we can make that as beautiful and simple for them as possible. So, and the yep. and the seamless component is them being able to integrate with their financial advisor, with their banks, so that bank reconciliation happens automatically with their bespoke applications that help them run their business. So like you say, James, then they can focus on the thing that they do best, which is the business that they're in, that they've chosen to be in. And we can mm-hmm. take away all the burden of what would typically take them so much time. I've been at zero now for five years and I can't tell you how many, how many customers in my, in my personal life, in my social life and, and, and also through my work travels that have said to me, oh my God, zero has changed my life. Like the once I found zero, I I got back so many hours in my day and in my week that meant mm. that I could focus on the things that are really important for me to focus on. And that might be growing their business. It might be spending time with their family. It might be working on a hobby. It might be engaging with their customers so that they can offer better products and services. So, I mean, that's what I jump out of bed and, and you know, race to the computer. And now that I'm working from home, um, <laughs> 
to work on is how do we make sure that we can keep up with this enormous opportunity to help not just the, you know, we've got over 2 million subscribers on our platform now. Um, and, you know, we're constantly thinking about building a business for 20 million subscribers and everything we do is built on the premise of let's not build for today, let's build for, you know, five, 10 years down the track because, you know, that that financial software that we started with has become a small business platform now that involves not just zero but all of our app partners and financial institution partners and how do we make sure that we're working together to provide the best solution for our small business customers and their advisors i think the 20 million could even be under shooting it i i actually um heard a, a heuristic this year that i'm obsessed with by jay simons the president of atlassian was talking with Yamini, HubSpot's chief customer officer, about how do you know um, what your opportunity is as a company on an international level? And he said he developed a heuristic where he was like, okay, well, what's the best established software franchise in the world, essentially? And he's like, it's Microsoft. What does their revenue look like globally? And it was 50% uh, the US, 40% EMEA, Mm -hmm. 10% APAC. And he was like, we just consider that equilibrium with the opportunity as a software company that like our revenue mm-hmm. overall was probably going to fall to that proportional over the pie. And that's where I think it's fascinating looking at Zero as such a, a, a company that's really grown to 2 million plus subscribers, but only in mainly in APAC and the United Kingdom, um, you've been able to get that growth. Well, taking that heuristic of 10% to, you know, 50% of the growth still being available in North America. I think um, there's a tremendous market ahead still. And you've it's been interesting to watch Zero as a company because, you know, a lot of software companies traditionally start in the US and grow internationally from there. Exactly. Having started from New Zealand, you've taken the opposite route, but you've grown a huge business from the opposite path that traditionally people view as, you know, the smaller market. I think New Zealand, when people were probably starting a business, particularly if they're starting in the US, is probably pretty far down their list of countries where they plan to expand to. But you've grown a huge business from there. And so I think um, the the ceiling is, yeah, 20 mil might be a bit small, I think. <laughs> Not that your product team would want to hear that. No, I think you're right. I mean, I think we it, it is taking the steps we need, like you, you alluded to earlier, Every market is is like a new product for us. It's not like you can mm-hmm. pick it up and, and plonk it in a market. You've got different tax regulations. You've got different jurisdictions. Like even in in the states alone, there's 50 states. So how every one of those states has different bespoke needs. Um, you've got different. Um, you know, you've even got different user experiences in terms of what a you know what a trial balance looks like in different markets, and you need to make f- sure the front end of of that offering is conducive to to what people expect to see, as well. But I think you're right. I think um, uh, you know this is what is so exciting about being in a company like Zero, and and we've never done anything traditionally. We've always um, we've always looked at what others are doing and say, how can we actually do it better and how can we best serve our customers? What are the problems that they're trying to solve and what are the problems they don't even know that they have yet but we can anticipate will be coming their way? And we are just getting started. 
Um, and you know, it, it, like it, it, it does all start with making sure that you have a really clear purpose, um, mm-hmm. making sure that you're really clear on who it is that you're serving, making sure that you're looking at the problems to solve for those customers. And I think one of the things that's been really important to us is making sure that we're bringing the partners that we have in our ecosystem on that journey with us. Um, because one thing that is for sure, when you have an opportunity that's as significant as we do in front of us, it is going to be much faster and much better if we're able to do that with the right partners um, on board with us rather than trying to do it on our own. Um, and I, uh, you know, I've been in the technology industry for quite a long time and being a, and seeing, you know, companies that have gone open source, closed source, you know, trying to do things on their own and, and, and win all the space versus partnering with the right other technology partners to, um, to solve business problems. And it's really interesting because I think that, you know, it's, it's the do it together that mm. is, is getting out ahead and, and definitely, um, one, making it easier for customers to really digest the the plethora of um, information and and um, technology at their disposal, but two, it's also uh, you know it's the one plus one equals is, is equals three scenario, which is you know being able to provide more value, improve more valuable, making you know the size of the pie bigger. That's what I've certainly experienced that firsthand working with your product team and as they've built out the integration between our two products. That has been first and foremost. It's like, how do we make life easier for customers and deliver a lot of value without them necessarily having to <clears throat> take specific actions or learn anything? They're already using our two platforms. How do we make it more powerful and, and easier to use? Which uh, plug for any HubSpot or Zero customers using, they've absolutely achieved. And I think it's a pretty cool, powerful little integration that we've got going. Well, it is because it's the back office and the front office working, you know, working in tandem, but in a way that's intuitive. And I think that that's what people are looking for now. Like if you think about the, um, you know, if you think about the extrapolation of, of all of the consumer technology that's been at our disposal in our lifetime, you know, you, you literally can see when a car is like coming to pick you up from just looking at your mm. mobile phone and you get in your car and it's telling you how long it's going to take you to go. It's anticipating where you are going in the first instance and then giving you direction. So that personalised and intuitive experience is what people expect. And I think yep. that we're starting to see much more of that expectation in that B2B environment as well. And that is what the likes of, you know, the, the zeros plugging in with the HubSpots and other application um, vendors that sit on our platform are helping these small businesses navigate, you know, their workflows in a very seamless and simple way. Yeah, no, I agree. And I'm very excited uh, to see it get adopted en masse, which it already started to, which is pretty cool. Um, You touched on something interesting in that Zero likes to try to do things, you know, look at a situation and try to solve it as best it can versus just copying what everybody else is doing. And and that's led you as a company to do a lot of unconventional things, which I would probably put your role is as <laughs> currently an unconventional role that I think we'll see become more and more prevalent as people realize it's actually a better way to, to run a business. Can you talk a little bit about your role being the chief customer officer and 
and what that is and why it came to be? This was a very deliberate and a fundamental move that we made at Zero. So, um, and and maybe what I'll do is just step back for a minute and talk about I've joined. I joined about five years ago, and I actually joined the company mm-hmm. as the chief people officer. Um, and I'm, I'm telling you this story because it gets to to my current role. So yep. interestingly, the the my whole um, background is all kind of combined to to lead me to the perfect place, the perfect company first off, and then then the perfect role that I'm doing now. But my background is I started life as an accountant, but I've spent the majority of my career in marketing, channel development, and strategy at um, mm-hmm. you know big technology companies like IBM. I then spent some time in in consulting, working with small, medium sized businesses and startups, and that's where you know you really do need to think broadly and and it's about solving business problems rather than being a specialist. So that's where I started to um, expand on my ambidextrous skills, if you like. And then I um, I sort of fell into re- recruitment and executive search and became a, um, a an associate director and ended up buying into a, a business where I stayed for, um, for three years, really um, learning about different businesses and talent and what successful businesses looked for when they were looking for people and how they would motivate those people in their business so that they could um, they could uh, accelerate their their productivity and their growth essentially and I became really curious in 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 psychology and the human psychology and and what what it was that actually attracted people to roles and and quickly learned that that's it's what played to their strengths so if you could find mm-hmm. Um, a person and match them to something that they were good at and energized by, you were much more likely to have a happy employee than to actually find somebody who had done that role before and try and, you know, and encourage them to do it again, just in a different environment. So it was all about, you know, what it was that you were looking, um, what what it was that you were looking for. Um, so I, I went back and did some study in positive psychology. And at the time I met Rod, the founder, of zero who said to me that he was interested in me coming on board as his chief chief people officer and he wanted um somebody who had a marketing background because it was at the stage that zero was at where you had a founder who was incredible visionary and it was about the, it was the time that zero needed it was about you know six year old company seven year old company they needed to actually start to codify that strategy and then mobilize mm. it through a really fast growing workforce so we were growing across the globe and we had plenty of HR directors in all the different regions, but we had no one sitting at the executive level that was working with the executive team on what it was that made us unique, um, how we were going to combat you know, our competitors in the different markets, but importantly, how we were going to best serve our customers. And we realized that with a fast growing workforce, that the fastest way that you can do that is to make sure that everybody across the globe that's working for the company really believes that what they're doing is meaningful and that they mm-hmm. are really clear, capable and aligned. So I did start the role as a chief people officer and because our strategy was actually to um, to reach small businesses um, on scale, so we, we do sell direct to small businesses in our digital environment, but, but we... Um, we also work through accountants and bookkeepers so they can reach millions of small businesses um, through their channels and through their networks. So uh, after a period of time, 
of being the chief people officer, I took on the customer side, which was really working on how do we make sure that we can amplify this amazing culture and this energy that we'd built internally um, with the people, the passionate players we had in the business that were, were so aligned to our purpose and so keen to make sure that everything that we were doing was supporting the small business community. So as you can imagine, once you get that amplification effect of not just the employees, there was 1,400 when I joined, like I said, we've got 3,000 now, but the, you know, the hundreds and thousands of accountants and bookkeepers that are using our technology to serve the millions of small businesses that sit on the other side of them. Mm. So I took on that and then um, uh, took on marketing and communications because that was really the, the platform by which we could c- communicate the inside out. We call that philosophy, how you create mm. and engage that, that, that DNA, that fabric of the of the culture and you're able to amplify that out using marketing and communications platform um and then you know became evident that what what we needed to do in terms of setting up that the um the purpose and and that sense of we we called it believe belong and flourish like a place where people could come and they could really believe what they were doing was meaningful had a sense of belonging diversity and inclusion we went on a big journey with that and then flourish the ability for them to to flourish and leverage their strengths and their skills to be able to um to best meet the customer needs so more recently, in fact, um, 12 months ago, October last year, I handed the reins of the chief people to somebody that I had, um, you know, worked with that groomed, that was in the PX, we call it people experience side of my portfolio so that I could really focus on on the customer side. So now mm-hmm. my role is is the end-to-end of customers. So that's from when customers you know, it's it's building a world-class integrated marketing, communications, sales and customer experience function so that we can deliver to the, the customer base that we have now and the customer base that we have in the future. So um, what's really important about this is you look at the journey of a customer, it's from the moment that they, they hear about Zero all the way through to how they're establishing um, more of a deep relationship with us. So all of all of those functions, so that's brand, comms, marketing, um, uh, sales globally, the partner sales, channel sales and direct sales and the digital transformation component and then customer experience, customer success and education sits under my role as chief customer officer. I mean, I know Zero pretty well. I know HubSpot very well. The parallels between the two companies are, are fascinating. We started in 2006 as well. Our chief uh, people officer, she used to be in a marketing role and she was put in to the chief people officer role for exactly the same reasons that you're outlining, that, you know, the chief people role is really the amplification of your values of an organisation and how you can do that uh, internally and externally to help make sure that you are attracting the right people and to help make sure that when they join the organisation, they it's easy for them to have alignment around what the company cares about. And the best mm. way to do that is through actually really compelling uh, marketing and communications, not through, you know, traditional the traditional view, which I think is lengthy HR docs and and possibly very boring onboarding videos. Um, <laughs> so so <laughs> that's quite fascinating. And then Absolutely. we hired. Yeah, and then we hired our first chief people officer around 12 months ago. And so it, it, I think we have recognised the same 
dynamic that actually, and it's interesting, I saw the Zoom CEO talk about this recently, that he focuses on making his employees happy first because he knows if he makes his employees happy, that'll translate through to the customers. And when you outline your journey, it's like, how do we make sure we've got the alignment and we're attracting the right people who can flourish? And when they flourish, that will get passed on to our customers and to whether they're like advisors or direct customers. And I think we're now making that same transition. How has that looked for you during COVID? I feel that has probably set you up as for success as a company because you've had that more holistic picture of the customer Mm. experience. Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, look, I have no doubt that we uh, would have been challenged in terms of being able to react really quickly to our customer needs if it was about orchestrating, you know, several departments under under um, one umbrella of an organisation. So, like I said, you know, the first, the first thing for us and, you know, people are at the heart of everything we do and I care about our people so much that the first thing, as I said, was making sure our people were safe and making sure mm-hmm. that our people felt a sense of um, not only physical safety but psychological safety, that, you know, their, their roles were safe, that we were giving them the tools that they needed to be able to work from home successfully. We really wanted to remove any of the the fear and the um and the uncertainty and ambiguity, which is difficult to do in a pandemic. Like, you know, we're, we're all living with that fear and amb- ambiguity in terms of how long is this going to go on for. But if you can remove that from your workforce and you, they quickly, when they feel like, you know, you're with them through this, then mm-hmm. when you've hired the right people, which is what we spend a lot of time making sure we do, you know, they immediately go to what do I need to do to support the customers. So um, absolutely, 100%, no doubt that having um, uh, having the end-to-end of the customer experience working collectively, like my whole leadership team could actually see who needed to do what so that we could navigate on behalf of our customers rather than try and get them to fit into what worked for us, we actually mm-hmm. would could go to them with something that we knew was uh, really meaningful for them. Now, of course, you can't, we couldn't do everything under the chief customer officer. And I'll give you an example, product. Like there was, there was definitely some products that were accelerated in terms of um, being delivered, cash flow forecasting, for example, that we needed to make sure that we were working with the product team so that they knew what was going to become um, most uh, relevant for our customers in a short time frame. I'll give you another example. The Small Business Insights Program, we have to work with the technology side of the business who are actually, you know, the, da- the data team sit under technology mm-hmm. and all the, the data they were getting out of the platform, so working with them. But what we could do is we could see globally what our customers needed and how those needs, needs changed in various markets as well because you had different you definitely had different um, levels of of um, of the the pandemic happening at different stages in different markets, and so you could dial things up and dial them down, and and manage resources across the various markets when when those markets um, needed them. Um, the other thing that we did, which I found fascinating, so we have the Small Business Insights Program, which is about looking at the data on our platform, aggregated and mm-hmm. anonymized, to provide some insights to government departments and, and um, officials that are, um, are making some um, policy recommendations and changes to, su- 
support the small business economy. But what what we also did is we commissioned a report with Forrester to say, well, tell us what's happening more broadly, not just with the zero customers and not just necessarily, you know, in in the pockets of, of the market where we tend to have a lot of traction, but outside of that as well. So we commissioned Forrester to, to conduct a study and they interviewed over 3,000 small businesses to really understand what were some of the themes that we were seeing with um, with COVID so that we could support not only our small businesses but any small business as they, as they were navigating what this change meant um, with this mm. disruption. And there were some really interesting themes that came out of that um, and, it, and, you know, most of them won't be a surprise to you but things like um, – uh, digital adoption. So front office and back office adoption was accelerated, which we spoke about earlier in this discussion. The second was this um, this sense of human connectivity. So, you know, mm. with that comes personalization and the need to use machine learning and AI um, and access the data and the insights at your disposal to make sure that you can be more empathetic to the customer. So like, you're treating the customer with a, that personalised um, effort. We saw a lot of organisations and the Forrester Research confirm this as well, um, accelerate their own innovation because out of, uh, out of necessity, they had to find different ways that they could actually serve the customer. So a lot of businesses moved into an online environment to sell. Um, you know, I, I'm sure you would be well aware that the you know the um, the couriers and the the Australia Post of the world have um, you know yeah. increased significantly, and the amount of packages I know that get dropped at at, at my door um, have probably gone up a hundredfold in the last in the last nine months. And the interesting thing that the Forrester research pointed out is this behaviour is now here to stay. Like most people, when yeah. they make that shift, even the working from home. Like all of these mm. things are not going to go back to the way that they were. Um, yeah. And then, and, then, and then the other interesting insight that, you know, really plays into our strategy is that um, the small businesses that leveraged the ecosystem of support around them were the ones that were able to, you know, either survive or thrive. So those are the small businesses that connected with an accountant and a bookkeeper or a, um, or a technology provider to help them move into a digital environment or help them connect to the hub spots of the world so that they could manage not just their financials um, in the cloud, but they could manage their whole business in the cloud. So there's some interesting insights, you know, that it just takes takeaways from the Forrester report that, you know, can be downloaded from our website if anyone's interested in reading more. I saw Craig Hudson talk at ZeroCon London last year talking about mental health and the effort Zero is making to support uh, parts of its ecosystem with that. And I think that is very unconventional. I've not seen many companies extend that, you know, even frankly thought process, let alone putting it into action. Uh, how, how has that come to be at Zero? I think it's a really interesting and, and a pioneering yeah. effort that is probably going to be more uh, needed. Absolutely. I, I mean, this is why I love, this is why I love working there. This is, there are no rules. You know, we are all mm. 
and this is this is something that I was really passionate about when I came in as the chief people officer is like we have so many strengths in this organization how do we make sure that we are unleashing people to be the best version of themselves to do the best work of their lives and like I said if you get people working to to their strengths and their strengths are what energize them and you know what they're they're, what they're good at, it doesn't feel like work. Um, and the Craig Hudson example is a really good example of that. It, it is really apparent that that mental um, mental health is um, is a responsibility of all of us, and the stigma that has traditionally been attached to mental health is one that um, you know if we don't talk about it, will continue to be a stigma. Uh, well-being is something that we as an organization have always wanted to make sure it's embedded in in our culture which is why the original px strategy that i worked with the team on when i when i started was around the the value drivers of believe belong and flourish that supported our underlying corporate values um, of which human is one of them and beautiful is another and so, and challenge is another, and that's a perfect example of Craig Hudson, who has you know come on board, and and he has been promoted to um, over the years. He's worked in in various locations for us globally, but came back and took on the role as managing director of New Zealand, and was really happy to share his story about his own struggles with um, with mental health when he was an elite sportsman. And um, what became really evident is, like I said earlier in this podcast, a lot of small businesses don't have access to the um, to the resources that big enterprises do and that they offer to their own employees. So most large corporates these days, I think, would have an um, enterprise assistance program and small businesses can't afford to offer that to their employees. Mm. So what Craig did, for those that don't know, is that he invested with his own um, regional budget, he invested in putting a zero assistance program, ZAP it's called, together first to accountants and bookkeepers in New Zealand, so our, our accountants and bookkeepers that were platinum partners, um, or, and then to any partner um, actually that had uh, zero subscriptions, business edition subscriptions. And then when COVID hit, he expanded that to be any small business in New Zealand that needed access to to counselling and support. Um, and it's it's anonymous and it's funded by by zero effectively. And it's um he's he's really made a mark for himself in the New Zealand market as being the the corporate guy that that is reducing the stigma of mental of mental health. And like you said, you you saw him present at ZeroCon in the UK. Um, he presented at ZeroCon South too in in um, Queensland last year and um you know I'd, we we'd love to see more organizations support the underdog you know we support the mm. companies that can't afford this or don't even know how to access it even if they could afford it um my passion for example is about focusing on the positive end, end of that well-being ledger so if you think about um if you think about a, a, a minus 10 to 10 with the minus 10 being languishing and the positive 10 being flourishing. Um, most organizations and most populations try and get everyone to zero. And, and, and the positive psychology work that I've done um, it leads me to believe that if you could raise the average, so you got everyone operating between zero and 10, not between, not, not just zero is not good enough. You really want to lift the average mm -hmm. up to three or four. So that when you face adversity, people bounce back to zero, but they don't go negative. And once they're in the negative, that's when you do need, you know, the mental, the, the, 
the you know the mental illness um, uh, interventions. But I think that if you can constantly focus on embedding systemically practices that focus on the positive end of that ledger, then you're doing um, you're lifting the average. And when you lift the average, then the well-being of the individuals, the teams, and the organisation is going to be lifted. And that's when you really see the beauty of um, what a a, what a um, a business can can um, draw upon through their humans that is really what's powerful and I think what you've seen James in in zero and what makes it a pretty special place yeah absolutely I think uh, when people our CEO has a saying as it relates to small business and medium-sized businesses you know it used to be you could either choose simple software or you could choose powerful software but you couldn't choose both. And he thinks it's a false choice. He thinks, you know, what we've tried to do as a company as it relates to our product is produce something that's very simple to use but very powerful. And so as a small, medium business, you get the same power as a big corporate or a bigger business with a lot more budget to spend. It's fascinating seeing companies like Zero, and frankly, you're actually the only company I've seen do a great job of this, extend that to be more than just the product. It's how do we bring all the other attributes that are often associated with a big company and enable small businesses to access that because we're more than a product, we're actually a platform. And the platform is more than just software. It's a supporting ecosystem, which is which is more than... Uh, what people have traditionally thought. Just to add to that, we, we, um, you know, with our Zero Central platform, which is essentially a, a product. It's not the product we generate revenue from. It's a, it's our support and education platform that's available to our customers. But we have community forums on there where like-minded individuals can share content and share information. We have Zero Hour on there um, where our customers can come together and we facilitate a conversation, but it's really peer-to-peer learning. And that is exactly what mm-hmm. you're talking about. It is the platform that brings um, the benefits of the power of, of everyone together so that you know everyone can learn from each other um, and we can we can also hear from our customers what's most meaningful for them so that we can make sure that we're working on the most important things. So this has been fascinating to learn. I think Zero is a bit different to our previous guests where a lot of people, pretty much everybody in Australia and New Zealand knows of Zero. But what I think is the unconventional thing that uh, you have done extremely well is is all this additional support for your ecosystem. You've taken the concept of how do we be a platform for small business and you've extended it far beyond what people traditionally think a software company is meant to be doing. And I think it's shown when you ever chat to zero customers just how much it resonates and how much it's needed and how much they appreciate it. So I'm in awe of what you've done as a company and it's clearly translated to a lot of growth. And while it's unconventional now, I really hope it's something that other companies embrace and and support their customers to the same degree. So do I, James. I mean, we're always striving to be better than we were yesterday. Um, So we want that customer experience to be ridiculously positive, positively deviant, you know, that would be mm. away from the norm, but in a positive way. And I, I genuinely believe that we're better at doing that with, um, with partners 
like the HubSpots mm-hmm. of the world. And I genuinely believe that it all starts with people and then you get that human ripple effect. So, um, so yeah, it's been, it's been great having a chat with you. And um, I do feel like there's a lot of synergy between, between the two companies and we're both in it to, to, to serve the, the small business customer. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much again for joining us. I really enjoyed our chat. Thanks, James. Thanks for tuning in to Unconventional Business by HubSpot. If you liked what you listened to, please subscribe and I'll catch you on the next episode.